You've heard of them. You've seen them. You know someone who believes in them. And I guarantee you are a part of one. I am your social chemist, Nelson. And today, we will be dissecting conspiracy theories and their perpetrators. Before I go any further, I just want to give a huge thanks to everyone who listened to my first podcast. The support was amazing, and I do appreciate the constructive criticism. So thank you so much. For this episode, I will try to speak a little bit slower so people can get a a better understanding of what I'm trying to say. But with that being said, let's get started. So in the first episode, we define what a conspiracy and what a conspiracy theory were. We said that a conspiracy is an explanation for an event or situation that evokes a conspiracy by sinister and powerful groups, often political in motivation, when other explanations are more probable. We spoke about the different types of conspiracy theorists. We said that there were two. There were partisan conspiracy theorists and that there were ideologue conspiracy theorists. Just to refresh our memory, the partisan conspiracy theorist will believe in a conspiracy theory as long as that the perpetrator is someone who they already distrust. So we take, for example, the Obama birther movement. It's a lot easier for a Republican to believe in that conspiracy theory because the perpetrator happens to be Barack Obama. And as a Republican, you do not think highly of him. You're, you're, that's, not a, that's not a politician that, that you have a lot of faith in. And the same is true when it comes to Democrats. It's a lot easier for a Democrat to believe that Donald Trump rigged the 2016 election than it is for a Republican to believe in that conspiracy theory. Because in this instance, the perpetrator happens to be a Republican. And if you're a Democrat, again, that makes it a lot easier if you're a Republican, though, you don't want to really believe in that conspiracy theory because the perpetrator in this instance is Donald Trump. It would not make sense to go against your own political values. We also talked about which minority group is more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory in which we stated that, or I stated at least, <laughs> that African Americans are more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory than any other minority group. We gave examples like slavery, redlining, police brutality, events like the Tuskegee experiment. All these events create mistrust of higher power of people in authority. And it's not surprising why this is the case. Anyone would. But what makes a conspiracy theory? Well, that's the purpose of today's episode. We're going to look at the existential threat model that is presented by Jan William Van Troijen. In his model, he provides elements to a conspiracy theory. The existential threat the sense-making process, and the antagonistic outgroup. Let's look at the existential threat. The existential threat is vital for any conspiracy theory. Without you being in threat, without you being in harm, well, there is no need for a conspiracy theory. You're not being conspired against. When you're in danger, when you're in harm's way, when you're being threatened, you do not have control over your situation, and this can be very stressful for anyone. No one likes not being in control. And so that's the first element of a conspiracy theory. But what are considered threats in a conspiracy theory? Well, we take, for example, war, economic crisis, terrorist attacks, environment catastrophes. These are all a form of threats. We then look at the second element, the sense-making process, or this understanding what's going on. We all strive to understand our surroundings. No one likes being in a situation where they do not have control And so what tends to happen psychologically is that we try to make sense of the situation. And a perfect example that I can give is that imagine that you're in a room and it's completely dark. The fact that you can't see where you're at 
that you don't know what your surrounding is causes stress. No one likes being in a situation where they do not know where they're at or who's around them. And so you try to figure out, you try to touch the room, trying to figure out, okay, this is the wall, there's a chair here. You try to make sense of the environment around you. And so the same thing is true for conspiracy theories. When there's an existential threat, we try to make sense of this threat. But sometimes the understanding of a threat doesn't really lead us to factual understanding. It leads us to comfort. And what makes you comfortable isn't always factual. We then move into the third element of a conspiracy theory. And that's the antagonistic outgroup or the perpetrator. And for any conspiracy theory, it's important to have the perpetrator because the reality is without the perpetrator, there is no conspiracy theory. Without a perpetrator, you're not really spreading a conspiracy theory as much as you're spreading misinformation. And so let us differentiate between a conspiracy theory, misinformation, and a myth. Let's start with the myth first. Let's take all three elements of a conspiracy theory. The existential threat, the understanding of the threat, and the perpetrator. Area 51, for example. Is this a conspiracy? Is this misinformation? Or is this a myth? Well, the Area 51 conspiracy theory, quote-unquote, is the conspiracy that there is a facility in Arizona hiding alien beings and technology that is out of this world. Now, believe it or not, I actually believe in this. I do think there's something in Area 51. There is no way that you cross a line that they have the right to shoot you. They are hiding something in there. I know that for a fact. But back to the question, is it a conspiracy theory? Well, the first thing is, what is the threat? What is the threat of Area 51? How does Area 51 affect your life in some shape or form? It doesn't. Area 51 brings no threat to your life, physically or psychologically. And it's missing an important part as well, the perpetrator. If there's no threat, there is no perpetrator. Now, you can say that the U.S. government is, you know, the perpetrator of Area 51, but again, the threat does not exist. They are not actively trying to harm you with this Area 51 myth. So again, it does not fall under a conspiracy theory or disinformation. Now that we got that out the way, what's the difference between misinformation and a conspiracy? Well, let's take, for example, the global pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus. Imagine you have a friend, right? You're walking and all of a sudden your friend stops you and says, hey, look, do you see that 5G tower over there? That's causing cancer. Well, is that a conspiracy theory or misinformation? Well, again, we know the existential threat. The existential threat is the 5G tower. The understanding is their knowledge of cancer and how they've connected the 5G tower to their understanding of cancer. But they never mention a perpetrator. They never mention Bill Gates. They never mention the government or the Illuminati. So this is misinformation. Because again, the perpetrator is not present. However, if that same friend were to say, hey, you see that 5G tower over there? That 5G tower causes cancer and it's being funded by Bill Gates. Now you have a conspiracy theory. But you've hit all three elements of a conspiracy theory. The existential threat, the understanding, and the perpetrator. But are all perpetrators the same? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because in Jesse Walker's book, the United States of Paranoia, he names five types of conspiracy perpetrators. He talks about the enemy above, the enemy within, the enemy below, the enemy outside, and the benevolent conspirator, 
or as he mentions them in his book, the conspiracy of angels and mythical creatures. We start with the enemy above, because it's the most popular conspirator. In this group, we include the Illuminati, Big Pharma, the government, and Bill Gates, just to name a few. What all these have in common is that they have major power. For example, the U.S. government has the biggest military force currently in the world. You know, if they wanted to invade any country, they definitely could have, just like they did in 2003 in Iraq. We have the capabilities to go to foreign countries. We can bring wars to other countries and be perfectly fine here domestically. So we have great influence internationally. And so it's not surprising how the U.S. government can sometimes be connected to the Illuminati. The Illuminati being one of the most popular conspirator perpetrators. A good example are the false flag operations that the Illuminati supposedly orchestrate to disarm the American population to leave us defenseless when they implement the New World Order. And the New World Order is a real thing, just not in the sense of what the conspiracy theory community likes to believe. We look at Big Pharma, or Big Science, that has recently, in my opinion, has been heavily butchered by the conspiracy theory community, making claims that they're trying to put microchips into the vaccines for COVID-19, that they're going to track us down once these um, vaccines are out in the market, and that they're going to track us down. I'm like, you know, sorry to tell you guys if you're a conspiracy theorist, but the phone that you're probably using to listen to this podcast, yeah, that's been tracking you down since like day one. So we've already crossed that line. But this conspiracy theory is not outlandish in the sense of it came out of nowhere. No, this conspiracy theory was mostly produced based on the Tuskegee experiment that was conducted on African-American males. For those of you that don't know, scientists, I forgot in what year exactly, I believe it was the 1950s, I can be, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially what they did was that they got, I think, 600 African-American males, and they told them that they were going to get, you know, a medical help, that they were going to be treated for their syphilis. In reality, what happened was that they were being deceived. They weren't really being treated. They were given a placebo, and the purpose of the experiment was to see what the long-term effects of syphilis were, the long-term effects of untreated syphilis. So many of the African-American, many of the participants of this experiment ended up dying. And this is, this is real events. This is not a conspiracy theory. This really happened. And so it's not hard to, to see why there's an attack on modern-day scientists. Because there's a history of abuse, of human rights abuse. We then move to the, what is considered the enemy within. And as the label implies, this conspiratorial perpetrator are the members of our society who live among us and are difficult to differentiate. The best example I can give is of our political environment. Everyone gets along until they find out which political party they support, and then all of a sudden they start accusing you of hating America or being a racist by definition. I see this a lot among my liberal friends, unfortunately, but conservatives are overwhelmingly guilty of this. Conservative commentators like, like Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk, they both engage in this type of conspiratorial persecution, making claims that universities have been infiltrated by the radical left and by professors who are trying to erase the influence of Western culture by villainizing it, or that these same establishments are trying to break down the traditional family structure by empowering women and members of the LGBT community. I have friends in my personal Facebook, like I said, who claim that the reason why Democrats want to abolish the police 
is so that we can live in some supposed apocalyptic society. Funny enough, all these ideas are only mentioned if a person is aware of your political affiliation, proving the effectiveness of the enemy within. Now, Walker includes the LGBT community when it comes to the enemy within, but I'm not entirely sure if I agree with him in this instance, only because when I think of the LGBT group, I think about them being as a minority, you know, and that leads us to the third type of perpetrator, the enemy below. I think homosexuality conspiracy theories are very interesting because recently I've seen them being perpetrated by African Americans of all people, making claims that the homosexual agenda is being used to feminize the African American male to make him weaker so that the white people can conquer them easier. I've seen claims that Disney is, is using their television shows and movies to try to brainwash children into becoming homosexuals. And I would consider the LGBT a minority because they still suffer through discrimination and sometimes, unfortunately, you know, family rejection. You know, not every family is understanding of homosexuality or human sexuality in general. The best example of the enemy below, though, comes from African Americans themselves. And African Americans who have been historically disenfranchised have been a part of, of conspiracy theories. They have actually been perpetrators of conspiracy theories. For example, among slave owners, there was a fear that blacks would one day rebel, that they would overthrow the white man, that they would enslave them, that they would keep their wives as sex trophies. And this conspiracy was exacerbated by the Haitian Revolution of 1791, when black slaves began their insurrection against French colonial forces. The slaveholders viewed this as a threat and not only prevented Haitian immigration, but this led to the formation of the Ku Klux Klan in 1865. This demonstrates that perpetrators of a conspiracy theory come from all different directions. They even come from outside. And that brings us to Walker's fourth conspirator, the outside enemy. And this is a group of perpetrators that are outside of the in-group. Some examples include the first settlers in America and their perception of Native Americans. To European immigrants, the lifestyle and culture of Native Americans were primitive and at times savage, often confusing puberty ceremonies for child sacrificing and at times interpreting traditional dances for the calling of the extermination of the white man. And like I said, the enemy outside are perpetrators that are more foreign than they are domestic. And so we look at the example of Robert Prager. Robert Prager was a German immigrant who lived in Collinwills, Illinois, and was a victim of anti-German sentiment during World War I. And he was lynched because his community thought that he was spreading anti-American propaganda and was encouraging Americans to not support the war for good and evil. And when I read this, it reminded me of the news report that I saw when I was a child, and it was the case of Balbir Zing Zahi, for everyone who isn't aware of who he is, he was a silk American gas station owner in Mesa, Arizona, and he was murdered a few days after September 11 because he was confused for a Muslim, and he was shot by 42-year-old Frank Silva. And again, he was shot because his identity was a threat to American security. And we still see this today when it comes to Muslims. Many conservatives regard Muslims as savage by their culture by their beliefs, by their customs. And again, not all Muslims are extremists, we know that. But when you think of the enemy outside, this is what comes to mind. And this case is really tragic when you think about it, because it was an innocent man that, yes, he was a victim of a hate crime, 
But just like Robert Prager, he was a victim of a conspiracy theory. Essentially why conspiracy theories, in my opinion, are dangerous. Because they lead people to believe in outlandish claims without any evidence. We move to our final perpetrator. And this one has more of a mythical touch to it. Jesse Walker calls this final perpetrator the benevolent conspirator. And as I read it, I was confused. I was like, oh, how can I match this with a real-life situation that I know? And I thought about the attacks on 9-11. The attacks on 9-11 truly changed American history domestically and internationally. But how was it interpreted? Well, if you're a democratic conspiracy theorist, you will put the blame on George W. Bush, saying that 9-11 was an inside job. If you're a Republican conspiracy theorist, you will say that the perpetrators of 9-11 were the extremist Islam, the Islam extremist Al-Qaeda. However, if you're Jerry Falwell Sr., you will blame the 9-11 attacks on homosexuals because the acceptance of homosexuals and homosexuality was a sin. And that sin needed to be paid with human sacrifice. And therefore, God punished us. God punished us on September 11. And I use this example because it illustrates the perpetrator being a mythical being, in this example, God, who was punishing us. Another example that I can give are the conspiracy theory of the Ununakis. The Ununaki conspiracy theory claims that the Ununakis have been controlling us or keeping a close eye on us. They're observing us from whatever spaceship. I think I've heard claims that they're located in the Jupiter's moon Ganymede. I heard Nibiri. Wherever they're located, they are manipulating us or observing us. And they fall into the benevolent conspirator because remember, these are species that are mythical. And just like God, they're beings from a different dimension. So now that we've identified all five types of conspirator perpetrators, we see that conspiracy theories come from all different directions. North, south, east, west. They involve everyone. Everyone's a perpetrator when you think about it. You don't necessarily need to be an elitist, a millionaire, a scientist. We're all part of a conspiracy theory. But the real danger comes when we decide to act on these conspiracy theories. And the fact is, is that unlike Bill Gates or the federal government, there really isn't much that we can do when it comes to those in higher power. But conspiracy theories that involved people in our community, people that we might not necessarily agree with, but live across the street from us, when you think about them, they don't have the same protection. And so it's a lot easier to commit some type of heinous crime, just like it was committed to Robert Prager and Baladir Singh Zadhi. They were both killed because of their identity. They were both killed because the conspiracy was that their identity was a threat to American security. These outlandish claims and ideals promoted ignorance that led to their death. It's what led homosexuals during the Lavender Scare to be removed from government office because homosexuality at the time was thought to be a mental weakness where it was a lot easier for a person who was gay to be brainwashed by communists. And so they were a threat to national security. Conspiracy theories involve everyone, even immigrants who are escaping poverty and crime from their countries in Central America are sometimes perceived to be invaders or child molesters or rapists or drug dealers. This is all a form of a conspiracy. And so if you get anything from this episode today, it's that we need to challenge these ideas, this mentality, because they promote hate, 
ignorance, and prejudice. And they provide no benefit but some imaginary comfort. Because until we don't, there will be conspiracy theorists that will take action for their own beliefs. And it's happened before. It happened with Pizzagate when Edgar Madison Welch went inside a pizza place to investigate human trafficking. He thought that he was going to find a basement filled with evidence or children. And he found out when he went there, he found absolutely nothing. Now, luckily, no one got killed, but he was motivated by his beliefs. And this is why conspiracy theory ideologies are dangerous to American society and to countries around the world, honestly. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you got something informative off this. I'm always open for comments and feedbacks. Definitely constructive criticism to help me improve my podcast. Also, follow me on IG. I created a, an Instagram account for my podcast. It's Social Chemist IG, all one word. I thank everyone for listening today. And I hope you join me next time as we discuss one of the most detested and heinous populations in American society, pedophilia. As always, question everything with logic.